Hey folks, welcome back to Intelligent Living. Thanks for joining the podcast, where we have discussions about all things relating to life. You know, through science, we've learned so much about life and how to live it well, so why is it that we tend to live so foolish? Well, it's time to use that science so that we can live life with some intelligence. We can live longer, happier, more purposeful and productive lives for ourselves and for others. And this is called Intelligent Living. So here we're going to learn, laugh, live, last, and love. Thanks for joining the conversation. I'm glad you're all with us this morning, and I'm going to believe God to help us and have a great time. <clears throat> Many people have gotten COVID, they're getting over it, so if you've gotten over it and you're feeling better, then obviously you can come and join us. Um, so a lot of people have gotten healthy now, they're doing a lot, lot better. We thank God that people are being uh, overcoming it, doing better. So I'm making a challenge to all the people that are watching, if you're able to come, we have plenty of room. Um, we're not open completely yet. We'll do that next month, but we do have room in the overflows. We set them all up so you can watch the services, and then we have room in the sanctuary. So I want to let you know that. <clears throat> this morning, I just want to preach uh, a few moments. <clears throat> it's called <clears throat> The Ravens Are Coming. They, they are talking, and they're tumbling, and they're trusting or learning, you and I learning to trust. But I'll get to the titles and the sermon in a moment. But I had a... <clears throat> Uh, in my yard, sometimes I go out and I see these, I don't know if they were blackbirds or if they're crows, uh, I don't know, but they're big blackbirds or a crow, but they're about this tall, they're all black, and a couple of times, this is a while back, I'd, I'd walk out front and I'd hear them on top of the telephone poles making noise, and you know, they look pretty big when they're up there, a couple of times they got thirsty, and they came down to my water fountain. And in my water fountain, they're really close to you. And you realize how big they are. And look, you know, I don't know about you. Get that close to that bird. To me, I, you know, a little scary, truthfully. But I went out a couple times. I heard them making all this noise. So I'd go out. And one time I went out and, and, and I saw them making this noise. I saw them flying down. And I didn't know what they were really doing. And so I'm, so I'm watching them, looking at them, trying to observe what's going on. There's something happening here. And what had happened is one of the crows or blackbirds, whatever they are, got hurt and it was in the bushes in my bushes there is making is making its way around and if anyone got close to it those blackbirds would come down and protect them and so i'm watching this and so i'm walking and i noticed they're coming down i said oh no i get what's going on here this set me up to take me out but anyway i saw that and i thought man it's pretty scary because they swooped down and they're protecting the one that was hurt and you know being a brave man like i am i went inside but uh <clears throat> But it made me appreciate, you know, just, just, just birds, right? What are they going to do? But it gives you a weird feeling. The sermon called The Ravens Are Coming, when I was studying this, I didn't know that these are larger than, than the blackbird by far, uh, large blackbirds, but it was an omen. If they saw one of these ravens, uh, it was superstitious, but nonetheless, it was real to them that they saw a raven. It's this large blackbird. It kind of like you and I maybe seeing... Uh, maybe a black cat. We see a black cat or if we saw all black cats one day, we think, well, it's a bad luck on that. That's how they kind of looked at it. Black raven, like what's going on, something evil. That's how they perceived the ravens. Now, if you were with us two weeks ago, <clears throat> I told you a little bit about the ravens, what they could do and what they couldn't do. But they were considered unclean. And <clears throat> it's worth noting that it's the ravens that we're going to read about in a moment, that God chooses 
to feed his prophet by the name of Elijah. Next week, we'll talk about the provisions called the same title. The ravens are coming, but it's talking about the provision of God. Today, I'm going to look at it a little different, but I think there's something in this for us. Because if it's in the Bible, the Bible says the book of Corinthians, that everything written in the Bible is there for our instruction. So I believe there's something here we all can learn about and think about. And I hope you gain one point. If you hear the whole sermon and you walk away with one thing, then you've done well. So I want you to stay with us. I'm going to get right into the text. 1 Kings chapter 17. Only a few verses. Beginning in verse, let's start in verse 2. The ravens are coming. And they're talking and they're tumbling and trusting. Then the Lord said to Elijah, leave this place and go east. And hide yourself by Cherith Brook, east of the Jordan. The brook will supply you water to drink. I have commanded the ravens to bring you food there. You can drink from the creek and eat the food. I have told the ravens to bring you. Elijah obeyed the Lord and went to live near Cherith Creek. And the ravens brought him bread and meat twice a day. And he drank water from the creek. So let's talk about the ravens for a moment. Again, there are huge, big black birds. They were considered extremely, extremely intelligent. They could do a lot of different things, too. They, they, but when, as far as eating-wise, they, they were scavengers. They basically were like, almost like a vulture. They were scavengers. They'd eat berries, eat dead carcasses, eat almost anything as far as food goes. But that'll apply more to next week. But nonetheless, that's what they were. But they considered them very intelligent animals. <clears throat> and one of the things that I brought up last week was, or two weeks ago was the ravens could mimic human speech they could mimic human speech now that's amazing i don't know if you ever heard a bird mimic human speech but it's amazing how a bird can sound like a human and out of all the birds god would use to feed elijah why would he take a bird that can mimic human speech he could have taken another bird that couldn't have the ability to do it so I begin just to think and, and think about what is written in the Word of God and think about it in my mind. And I know i got imagination. I, I get that. But just begin to think about this bird. And I begin to think about it. It has the ability to mimic human speech. And this would be the bird that would come down and feed Elijah. So I think about voices, voices coming to you and I. And so I came up with the first thought. There's the ravens can talk. They're talking they can speak, and let me explain. We need to learn to discern voices. We need to learn to discern, to discern voices because the ravens are talking. And what I'm talking about is they mimic human speech, but I'm not talking about the birds per se. I'm just using it as an illustration. But you and I, as we live for God, there are voices that come to you and I, and they sound like human, but the inspiration is from the demonic. It's a human voice speaking, and it's not the devil per se. No, but behind that voice, we find inspiration from another world. And so let me give you a few examples about learning, or we must learn to discern voices. And there are all kinds of voices that the enemy can use. And I would say this in light of what's going on right now. The enemy always exploits circumstance. He will speak through circumstance. Or in other words, he will speak through the experiences of life, things happen in life. You go through storms, and everyone knows this. If you've been in a storm, the storms speak to you. 
Storms can cause you to th- get you to think that God's don't care. God's not aware. God don't care about what's going to happen to you. So there's a voice that can speak to us in that trial. That's still, nonetheless, it's a voice that speaks. And so I thought about here that I spoke about probably a month ago on Thursday night. It's found in the book of Matthew chapter 16. And the Bible says Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he tells his disciples, he said, you guys, listen, let me shed some light on something. I'm about to be tortured later on. I'm going to be tortured. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be severely beaten. And afterwards, I'm going to be dead. And then I'm going to raise again the third day. Now, the Bible says the disciples are listening to that. And one particular disciple, the name of Peter. Peter listens to him. And Peter listens to that and says, the Bible says, and Peter pulled Jesus aside. You can read it for yourself, Matthew. He pulls Jesus aside, and the Bible says he tells Jesus, God forbid, that's not going to happen to you. Jesus turns to Peter and says, he doesn't call him Peter. Peter, no, he he turns, the Bible says, and Jesus turned to Peter and says, Satan. And I think I called that service, Jesus called me Satan. And I know that's not PC. If it happened today, Peter would probably sue him, right? But anyway, Jesus turns to Peter and calls him. He says, Satan, get behind me because you have a mind that thinks like human beings. You don't have a mind for the will of God. Depends on the translation. You don't have the mind for the will of God. You don't think like God thinks. You think like humans think. And so he's able to discern. Think with me. Think about this. Here is Peter, one of his strong disciples. Peter believed at the moment that time, people say he was probably the lead disciple, the main man. And yet, Jesus, here's this guy who he loved. He loves Peter. But coming through Peter, the inspiration was from the enemy. And Peter's telling Jesus, you know what? Listen to this part, church. This is really good, I thought. Peter says to Jesus, God forbid. He is invoking God. Right? He's asking, he's, he's, he's telling God, God forbid, that sounds so religious, God forbid you would ever die like this. He's, 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 he's using the name of God to tell God what God's not going to do. God forbid, how in the world, Peter, can you invoke the name of God to tell God what he's not supposed to do? That's what crazy people do. We don't tell God what to do. And I don't care if you use the name first, God forbid. You can say God forbid all you want. God is God. You're not God. And I don't care what, how you call it, you call it prayer, I'm praying, you know, and so Peter says that God forbid, Jesus. He's talking to Jesus, the guy who spoke the world to existence. He's telling him what he will and will not do. You crazy, Peter. And Jesus turns. He hears Peter speaking, but because he could discern the voice, he knew behind that voice was inspiration, and the inspiration came from Satan. Now, let's clarify something here. Peter, Jesus called Peter Satan, but he didn't call him Satan all the time. Okay? It was one time he called him that. That's it. And this ought to encourage us because we're not always Satan. What do you mean? I mean, we're not always bad. That moment, his theology was way off. And some people say, well, he better get his theology right before he ever helps anybody else. Well, Peter got his theology way off. But Jesus actually chose him to basically run the church. God believes in humanity. And one day we act one way and one day we think one thing. And then the next day we learn, you know what? I was wrong in my thinking and I changed because that's how we all learn, right? 
And so here he is. He's going to use the very one who he called Satan. He doesn't call him Satan again, but Jesus at that moment, to make the point of my message, at that moment when Peter is talking, Jesus recognizes, discerns something, that behind someone's voice that I love is inspiration, and that inspiration is from Satan. Listen how Jesus says it. Two different translations say it like this. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, uh, Peter. Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. Another one says it like this. You're tempting me to sin. You aren't thinking the way God thinks, but you only think the way humans think. Jesus was able to discern it. Another story I thought about was Genesis 27. Genesis 27, it's a story. Most of you know it if you've been around for a very long, a serving Christian, serving God, I mean. It's, it's about Isaac. <clears throat> and Isaac's getting ready to die, and Isaac has a son. He has one son named Esau, who's the older son. And he has a younger son by the name of Jacob. Isaac loves Esau more, actually, than he does Jacob. But Isaac, the Bible says he's old, he's blind, he's getting ready to die. He tells Esau, his older son, says, Esau, listen, I'm getting ready to die, and I want you to prepare me a nice meal, and then I'll, come, I'll eat the meal, and then I'm going to bless you one last blessing. And the Bible says that when he was telling this, when Isaac was telling his son Esau this, the Bible says Rebekah was listening. Now, Rebekah was the mother, but she loved Jacob more than she, she, Jacob was her favorite. And the Bible says she hears this and she runs and gets Jacob. Says, Jacob, come here. And this is Mejia version, okay? This is paraphrased Mejia version. It's not exactly like this in the Bible. So, so don't be sending me an email. It's not actually what the Bible says. I know that, but he listened to the story. And so he, he, he comes and so his mom says, well, what's up? He says, Jacob, listen, your dad's getting ready to die. He's going he's to put a blessing on, uh, on your brother. I'm going to put a blessing on your life. He wants a favorite meal. You know what? I'll go get the meal. I'll make the meal real quick. We'll go right back and give it to him, and he will bless you instead of his brother. And he says, oh, man, what? We can't do that. I mean, that'd be wrong. And he says, don't worry. We'll be cursed if we do it. And then she says, let that curse fall on me. It's pretty bad when a parent is teaching a child how to be deceitful, especially in the things of God. So Jacob says, all right, Mom, you in charge. You okay, do your thing. She makes the, she gets the pasole. You know, it's always Mexican, right? She gets the pozole, she gets it, she, she, she's going to feed it to him. She gets it, she gets it all ready, and then right away he comes back and says, he goes back to his father, Isaac, and says, hey, Dad, I'm here. And Isaac says, well, you just wonder, it's so fast. I gave the order, short time later, I already got the meal. How, who, who, who is that? And it was Jacob. He's acting like he's Esau. He says, it's Esau. He says, I don't know, Esau? Is it really Esau? How'd you, get, how'd you get the meal so fast? He said, God, help me. There we go again. God help me be disobedient. God help me. Yeah, God help me deceive you, Dad. Yeah, God help me deceive you, Father. It's crazy talk. He said, no, God helped us. Give us favor. We were able to get the food, uh, the game. We caught it right away. Here's your meal that we provided for you. And he says, man, that's so fast. He said, I don't know. He said, you know what? Just, and the Bible says this. It sounds like the voice of Jacob. And he says, come here closer. So he comes closer, and the Bible says, Isaac, remember, he's blind, right? He can't see when you're blind, so he has to go by how he feels. 
And the Bible says he fills Jacob and his mom, Bible says, you can read it, his mom put goat hair on him. That must have tell you how, I mean, Esau was hairy. She put goat hair all over him to make it like it was him. So Isaac is feeling Esau and says, you know what, this is a feeling Jacob says, the voice sounds like Jacob, but it feels like Esau. It's all right. So he prays a blessing on him. But here's what happens. <clears throat> you think about that whole story. It lays out there's deception and there's things that go on in this story. But Isaac, the father, first thing he does, he knows he listens to the voice, just like you and I. It sounds like Jacob, but it feels like Esau. And he let his feelings guide him instead of the voice. And I've said this before. You and I go by our feelings instead of listening to the voice of God. We allow our feelings to dictate what we do or don't do instead of the voice of God. And how many know that things feel one way doesn't mean it's real? What appears to be sometimes is not at all. There are people in the pulpit today preaching. They have the voice of Jacob, but they got the hands of Esau. Trust me. All over the place, there's all kinds of places. They, they look one way, it has the voice of one thing, but their hands are really the hands of Esau. And it all happens, but it really wasn't Esau. I mean, it's Esau's fault. But listen to some of the things we, I think we can learn from this very quickly here. That we can gain from this. Number one, I, I thought we, you and I should not resist the will of God like Isaac did. Sometimes we think we know better when we don't. Here he is. <clears throat> Jacob honestly thinks he knows what's better. His mom thinks he knows what's better. They do this. It's not, that's not good. That's our first lesson. Number two, not to forfeit God's favor and blessing like Esau. Esau he was worldly, we know that. He was rejected because of his own attitude towards the things of God. It wasn't God's fault. He was basically incapable, really, of carrying on certain things. He was not spiritual. It wasn't Jacob deceiving him, though it was, but really the root was Esau, it was your fault. Number three, you and I should never do wrong that good may come from it, like, just like Rebecca and Jacob did. God's promises will be fulfilled in due time. And you and I, because of that, we shouldn't complain. We shouldn't murmur and we shouldn't become impatient. We should let God do what God's going to do in his own time period. Let me move on. <clears throat> so it was a voice. He could have said, you know what? You sound, you don't sound like he saw and he could have stopped it, but he didn't do that. He didn't discern correctly. Then I thought the one we've all heard many times is the Bible says in the book of Genesis, chapter 2, God speaks to Adam, and he says, Adam, I don't want you to eat of the knowledge of tree, uh, tree, the tree of good and evil. You shall not eat of it, for the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Then enter the story of Sister Evie. Now we got Sister Evie. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 3, most of you know it. She goes, and she's there looking at the garden. <clears throat> she's there looking at the, uh, the fruit. And the Bible says, this is how the Bible says, and the woman stared at the fruit. It looked beautiful and tasty. 
you know, it's pretty bad when you're staring at disobedience. So she's staring at the fruit. She said it looks beautiful and tasty. She wanted the wisdom that would give her. Now, number one, this is all in her mind. She has no idea. She has imagination. She thinks it's going to give her all these things. But just because you think something, just because you imagine something, doesn't mean it's going to be so. She imagined all the wisdom it would give her. So she ate some of the fruit. And her husband that was with her, she gave him some, and he ate also. You think about it. The enemy knows, same thing, it's a voice. The enemy knows that I'm going to use the voice of your wife to get you. My voice, Adam, you will detect it. You will know what it is. You understand. No, no, I can't go directly at you. I will go through you. I will get to you through Eve. It was Eve's voice. Listen to this phrase. The Bible says she gave some to her husband. That phrase, and she gave some, means to, listen to this, it means to bestow, it means to grant, or it means to permit. You know what, I don't care what you say, a man or a woman cannot permit disobedience. Eve tells Adam that what's what the word means, I'm going to paraphrase it, Adam, you know what, it's okay, don't worry about it. I give you permission to eat it. Don't worry about a thing. It looks beautiful, don't it? It's nice. It looks tasty. Just go right ahead. I give you permission to eat. And there are a lot of wives that will sometimes give their husband permission to be disobedient. Or we can say it like this. Sometimes it's a wife or a husband, either way, that stands in the way of their walk with God. The enemy does not come straight at Adam. He goes through Eve to draw him to sin. And sometimes there's wives that will hinder their husband from serving God. And sometimes there's men that hinder their wives from serving God. Years ago, I remember a gentleman that was coming here. And he loved the church. He liked the way we preached, just liked how we do things. His wife didn't like it. I think it was too real for her. And she tells him, you know what, I don't like that church. He said, well, I really like going there. And they got into the argument, and he listened to Evie. He said, well, that's my church. She said, well, I'm not going to go to that church. I'll go to some other church. Make a long story short, his wife convinced him not to come here. And about a year after that, they divorced. You know what? I know I can say it now looking back, but you know what? The man you ought to lead. There's wives probably listening to me right now that your husband would, 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 would want to come here. And this is all for free, by the way. Your husband would come here, but you don't let him to come here. You don't like him to come here. Adam, listen to me. You need to check Evie. Yeah, you need to check her. Say, no, this is my church. This is where I'm coming. There's people that have told me that, and their wives say, well, I don't know about that. And they listen to Evie all day long. Men need to hear the voice of God. Men need to be preached to. So that's for free. Okay, let me move on. The Bible says that she's the weaker vessel. So I liken it to our own lives. The weakest point in our life is where he's going to attack us. He starts one place to go another place. Give me an example. David, 
The enemy didn't come to David. Said, David, I'm going to make you a murderer, a liar, a thief, and everything. No, no. He came to David with lust. David fell to lust, and he became a murderer, a liar, and everything else. But he started at one point to get him to another point. He didn't start him. Why did he start him at the lust point? He started him at the lust point because that was David's weakest point. He starts when the, wherever the wall is low is where he's going to hop over. And he hops over that low, low to get you to do something else down the road. But that's where he started. You need to be aware of your weak points. Let me, man, let me move on here. We can talk about the voice of our own reasoning. We can talk about the voice of conviction. Sometimes the enemy uses their own voice against us. You know, we say things, you know, not everything we say, you know, there's things we say to ourselves sometimes. We believe lies we tell ourselves. And sometimes it's not easy to discern your own voice, right? You think, that's just me talking. No, there's something behind that. There's, there's, yeah, we have an enemy that wants to take us out of the race. How many faithful Christians have said, you know, I don't know if God cares about me anymore. Well, those voices and that speech, where does that come from? Well, I'm not saying there's Satan, but the Bible is pretty clear that that inspiration that would take God out of your life is from the, is from the enemy. Anything that wants to rob you of faith is from the enemy. I care how it comes to us, and, and I don't care who it comes through us. So we need to be able to discern. So... People say something. They may be a close loved one. They may say something. You're not saying they're the devil. Don't hear this sermon. Next time your wife says something, you go, Satan, get behind me. Don't do that stuff. Or a husband or a wife, don't do that to your husband. Satan, get behind me. You know, I'm just saying we need to be aware. You know what? The enemy works through people, human vessels. So let me move on to the second point quickly. And the last two are very short. <clears throat> so the first one is learn to discern the voices the ravens are talking the second one, we have to learn to discern circumstance. The ravens are tumbling. Learn to discern, discern the circumstance. One of the things I mentioned two weeks ago about the raven, it's an amazing bird and what it can do. It could do somersaults. It could fly backwards. It could fly literally upside down. They can make dives. They can tumble. They say it's like a performance in the air. They can dive and they can tumble. And it's almost routine to them sometimes. You see, it looks like they're maybe got hit by something or something shot them. It looks like they're eeled. No, they're, just, they're tumbling. They're doing their thing. They're doing their raven thing. It's crazy. Well, here's a bird that God would use to speak to us about life. Because sometimes life, it looks like our lives are tumbling down. Sometimes it looks like the circumstances of our life, and that's why we need discernment. Sometimes we look and say, you know what? My life is literally upside down. It looks like our life is tumbling down. It looks like, and we need to be very careful how we read that and what we think that really is. What appears to be isn't always so. Job says, now when I lie down, how long will it be before I get up? The night drags on and on. I toss and turn until the morning. 
I have inherited nights filled with nothing but misery. I ask about the evening. And when the evening comes, I'm exhausted. I toss and turn till the morning. My days are going on quickie, or quick. My, they're spent without any hope at all. Then he says this in verse 7 of Job 7. Verse 7, he says, remember my life is only but a breath and never again will my eyes see anything good. That's not true, Job. He looks at his life and he's beginning to say, he's reading what he's looking at his circumstance. And the voice or circumstance said to him in his own soul, I will never see another good day. That's a lie. One man talks about the truth about you and I living, just living as a Christian. And he says a couple things. He said, useless days and wearisome nights may be the portion of the best of men. To those who, like Job, are righteous and upright in the sight of God and have been, like him, healthy, vigorous, useful, have months of vanity or months of void of health, activity, and usefulness. Number two, he says, months of vanity and weariness, nights are considered to be the appointment of God to be improved upon accordingly. So why would God do it? And I, he, he, there's a couple of things we, we can say. I think some of the reasons, number one, that things come to you and I, if we can be honest, when circumstance comes to us and hits us this hard, it causes us to begin to think about eternity a little differently. If we get hit hard enough, it'll bring us to our knees. If our life becomes difficult beyond ourselves, it breaks us. When we are broken, one thing about being broken, you got time to think about eternity. So it causes us to think about eternity. It weans us from the world, number two or number 1A or whatever. Number two, though. Then we also get a chance to grow. The Bible talks about growing in grace and humility and patience and meekness and contentment. And those things happen in trials. Seldom do we grow much when things are great. Our greatest lessons are learned when we are broken. When you and I are at the end of ourselves, the greatest lesson. When we are doing fine, our health is great, we have all the money, we got bank, we have all that. We, we, we're going through, but how, how much really are we growing in the graces of God? I don't know. But I know one thing, when hard times hit, it causes us generally to think about God in eternity. It weans us from the world, and it gives God a chance to work on some things in our life that he really hasn't had a chance to. Now we get to grow in patience. I know you said you will serve God no matter what. Well, now you have a no matter what. Let's see you serve him. Let's see, let's see how you act. And I think the third one, it gives us, or gives God an opportunity to use us for an example for other men. Good or bad. One man said that God makes one half of human beings a moral lesson for the other half. <laughs> the psalmist says it like this, everything is falling apart. There's nothing a good person can do when everything falls apart. Psalms 13 says, how long must I endure trouble, God? How long is my heart going to be filled with sorrow night and day and the enemies are triumphing over me? 
Then Ezekiel 37, it's the people of God. You think about it, the people of God, they are coming to the end of themselves, and they said to the Son of Man, he asked about the bones living, the Bible says, and the people said this, and the people said this, all our hope is gone, and our nation is finished. That's how, how some people talk about our nation today. Our nation is not finished, by the way, and all our hope is not gone. But here they are saying that. And I thought about another story. To me, this one really speaks of the power of pain, brokenness, grief, loss of dreams, loss of health. You know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, he was interviewed and they asked him, what's the difference between someone who's successful? This is just one question. There's many of them like this, but what's the difference between someone that's successful and someone that's not successful in life? At, your, at that level, there's guys that are elite that just seem to do well. And he said basically this. He says, it's not, that no one, it's not that I have pain, they don't have pain. I have, he said, no, we all have those common things in life. He said, but when pain visits, a lot, most people, they give up instead of press through. And let me say this about life. Life will bring you a lot of pain. And what I don't like about a lot of people today, I say I don't like what I, what I find lacking. Maybe it's a better way to say it. What I find lacking in a lot of people today is they lack resilience. They don't have no resilience. A little pain comes. Instead of pushing through it, they, they just give up. That's why people give up on marriage so fast. Marriage, you can have pain moments. You have some very painful moments in marriage, a lot more than once. And if you give up every time there's pain, then you'll walk away from marriage. You'd be like Larry King, bless his heart. You know, he had seven wives. He, he, he was, they, they called him the best interviewer and the worst husband. You can interview, that's, you're masterful. No one can even live with you. Seven wives. Every time it becomes painful, we walk away. It's painful in marriage. I'll just walk away. Painful in, in church life. I'll just walk away. It's painful. And, and it's like there's no resilience to press in. Listen, you can get, you'll get past the pain if you press in. It won't last forever. But it seems like this element of resilience, and I know I'm getting off track for a moment, but this element of resilience, it's this generation doesn't have it. You push them a little bit, and they're, oh, I'm done. I'm just done. They give up so fast. A little discomfort. Oh, I can't do that. Mm. What's wrong with you? Just a little. And there's others. It's like, and I'm not saying, well, I guess I am saying it. It's people that are older like myself and others. It's like, it's like you can't stop them. They, they have this problem and that problem and that problem. And they just, keep, they just keep on going on, keep on going on. They don't live by their feelings. They just go, I got to do what I got to do. And they do it. What is, what is that? That's the element of resilience in their heart. It's resilience in their spirit. It's lacking today. You just give up, give up, give up. You can't give up life. Life will give you a million reasons to give up. You never survive. Resilience. So here he is. Man. I'm preaching, I'll preach this. This point right here, okay? And the last point, I'll move to next week. <clears throat> but it's okay. Listen to this. Because this, this, I think this will end well. When I read this, now let's go on in history. Jacob now <clears throat> is older. 
Jacob's a father now, and he's got sons. One of his sons is Joseph. You read about Genesis chapter 42 is the whole story. Make it really simple. <clears throat> a famine comes. Joseph is sold to Egypt. He becomes the CEO of Egypt. He's, he's one of the big bosses, okay, in Egypt now. His family, his dad, and all his sons, they don't have no food. They're going to go to Egypt, <clears throat> and they go to Egypt just to get some food. Joseph tricks them, basically, and he knows who they are. They don't know who Joseph is, and he basically says, listen, <clears throat> you guys are spies. You guys are tr you're trying to trick me. And they say, no, no, Joseph, we just came for food. Our father's back at home. And they begin to tell this whole story, and Joseph's listening to it. Joseph's setting them up. Joseph says, well, you go back and get your brother. And you go back and get your brother, but you leave, your young, you, you leave one of your brothers here with me. Th that way I know you'll come back to see me. They said, we can't do that. We've already lost one brother. If we go home and tell our dad, you're taking him. My dad, my dad won't make it through the grief. We, we, gotta have, we all got to come back home. We, we can't leave one here. And Joseph says, sorry, it's going to happen. We have to. So the Bible says Joseph, all his brothers, go back home to his father Jacob. Now his father Jacob now is older now. And they come back home. They say, what happened in Egypt? What happened? He said, Dad, you won't believe what happened. They thought we were spies. And they, they want us to come back. Um, we got to prove that we have you. We, we have to prove that we have another brother. Where, where's the youngest son? So we had to leave him there. His dad goes, what do you mean you had to leave him there? We had to leave him in Egypt. Oh, he's, oh, I can't believe this. He said, now they want the youngest one here to come back too. And if, listen to what Jacob says. Jacob, this all goes on. And Jacob says this. Genesis 42, verse 36. The father Jacob said to them, you're going to make me lose all my children. Joseph is no longer with us. He didn't know Joseph was still alive and in charge. He didn't know that. Joseph is no longer with us. Simeon is no longer with us. And now you want to take my youngest son, Benjamin. Then he says these words. Listen carefully. Everything is against me. Verse 38 says that this happens, this sorrow would kill me. Let me tell us a couple things and I'm going to close here. That's the power of pain. The power of pain, Joseph, Jacob, says some things. And this is what happens when it hits us hard. Listen, number one, the first thing he does, he removes God out of the picture. Jacob talks like an atheist. What's an atheist? An atheist is very simple. is a person who denies or believes in the existence of God. Jacob... <clears throat> In this story, he makes no mention of God because he's so broken. First part. Second part, if he would have thought for a moment and begin to really think, remember, I'm talking about circumstance. He's, he thinks he's losing. In fact, he says that everything is against me. Anytime anybody uses the word everything, it's usually an exaggeration. Everything. Stop it. Like a kid said, there's no food in the house. Stop it. Oh, refrigerator full of food. No food. I'm starving. I don't do nothing right. Exaggeration. So you're, uh, everything's against me. Hey, hold stop, Jacob. Rewind. If you'd have thought for a moment, 20, for 20 years, God's blessed you. All your life, you've been blessed. 
But he's talking like there is no God. He's an atheist for a moment. First part, second part. Because he's in this new trial, this new pain, this new brokenness. What he's saying, we know it's not true. And so he speaks things that are untrue. He says, all things are working against me. Listen to this. At that moment, he makes a statement. All things are working against me. At that moment, all things were working for him. God, listen to this. This is so good. This is good preaching. I'll take notes myself. But this is good. Listen, because at, at his worst moment, and I think we all have had our worst moments. We're probably going to have some more, unfortunately. But at his worst moment, he couldn't see the handiwork of God. At the worst moment, he said, this is the worst moment of my life. From his perspective, from God's perspective, I'm working out everything so your life would be nothing. But I'm working out the greatest blessing you're ever going to have. He didn't know Joseph was still alive. He didn't know Joseph was in charge of Egypt. He didn't know he'd have all the land, all the food, his family would be blessed forever. For he had none of the, he had no idea what God was doing, but he makes that statement. Because if you would fast forward, Jacob, if you would fast forward, one day you're gonna be sitting with your grandkids and your great great grandkids, and you're gonna you're gonna say things like, you know, God has been so good to me. You know, we go through hardship as parents, but the day your first time, like I've told Artie years ago, I said, Artie, wait till you have grandkids. You see life different. I don't know about that. Artie, he sees life different now. It's all about grandkids. But anyway, you have grandkids and you think, God's been good to me. Just having your kids raised. I don't know why we say all of a sudden dawns on us. You know, God has been good to me. And I'm sure Jacob, same thing. You know what? He's got his grandkids on his lap. He's thinking, you know what, man? What was I thinking? God, where's all things working against me? You know what, God? What you said is true. In Jeremiah 29 and 11, I give you a future and a hope. You know what, God, you, you are. You are who you say you are. Everything wasn't working against me. Everything was working for me. And I'm going to stop there. Listen. There are people right now, they're listening, people in here maybe, they're listening. It looks like, it feels like everything's working against you from your perspective. But I'm telling you, it's not so. There's a God in heaven who's working out things for us. That's what the Bible says. If you're a Christian, the Bible says that, and he gives us a promise. He said, all things work together for good. To those that love God are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. There's people in pain right now as I speak. There's people in trouble right now. There's people, your marriage is shaking. Your life, you don't know what you're going to do. And some of you are Christians. Some of you haven't always been honest, like some of the characters I read about. Maybe like Jacob early in his life. Or you've done things, you say, I should, probably shouldn't have done that. And you know what it's like to follow God. Maybe you have not followed God. Maybe you did it your way. I'm going to do it my way, and, and now you're in trouble. But you still, maybe you still know God. You're still Christian. You're hanging on by a thread. But let me tell you something. God's a good God. He's a merciful God. Everything he was saying, it was so far from the truth. 
And I would say to all of us, all of, even though I don't understand it as a pastor, I can say it with all full conviction that things work out for God's people. Even when I don't like what I see, at the end, oh, God's been so good. God's working out things for you. I want you to bow your heads with me right now. Your head's bowed. You're just listening to me. There's people that are watching. You said, you know, all things are working out against me right now, Pastor. And I'm asking you, okay, that's how you feel. But listen, I'm asking you to open your heart to Christ. I'm asking you to give your life back to Jesus. I'm asking you to say, okay, Jesus, I give you my life. I'm sorry. I repent of my sins. You're a backslider. You know you're a backslider. The one you're with right now is not even your wife. Husband. Drug. Whatever it might be. I don't know how it fits for you. But there you're, you're in this place. God can forgive. God can restore. God can help if you do it his way. And you simply say this. You say, Jesus, I give you my life. I'm sorry for my sins. Come into my life. Forgive me of all my sins. I surrender everything to you. I trust you. I thank you for saving me. And the people in the congregation that are maybe listening and others, let me just say this before we dismiss. We need to learn to discern the voices. And we need to learn to discern the voices of circumstance. And realize, you know what? <clears throat> This is what's going on, but you know what? The way I'm thinking, the conclusions I'm coming to are wrong. Remember, the ravens are talking, and the ravens are tumbling. Your life may be tumbling out of control, but it's not true. Be encouraged. I'm just going to close in a word of prayer with their heads about. Father, I thank you for every life that's listening. I thank you for every life that's in this congregation this morning. I pray, give them strength. Bring us back together, Father, I pray. Bless your people, overshadow them, watch them in all the decisions they make. Help us to discern the lies of the enemy. Help us discern the lies that come through circumstance. I'm asking you to touch people's minds right now, Father. They've believed lies. Touch them right now. Bring deliverance to their mind, their life. Give them faith, impart faith to them, Father, I pray. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Thank you for watching the service. Tonight we have another service. Thursday I'll be preaching. Say thank you very much. Hey, folks, I really hope this episode encouraged you to live a more purposeful and intelligent life. If it did bless you, would you share it with somebody who you love as well? Thanks again for joining us, folks. We'll see you next time. Thank you.